Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. Today marks the 100th episode of the HR Room Podcast and we're delighted to be marking this milestone by bringing you our C-Suite series collection of interviews over the course of this month covering some of the biggest HR and business topics with some of the top leaders in the world of work. And what better way to kick off our series with one of the leading topics for HR teams and businesses everywhere, the topic of well-being. Well-being, of course, has always been a leading priority, but are we doing enough? Can we do more? And just how vital is employee well-being to a company's success? I think we know the answers, but we're going to hear more today, which is brilliant. So to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by an expert on this topic, Rachel Fellows, Chief Wellbeing Officer at Aon. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. How are you? Oh, that's so good. And congratulations on your centenary celebrations. Thank you very much. Delighted to celebrate it with, your, with yourself and Liam today. Brilliant. And as I said, this week we're joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very well, Owen, and Happy New Year to everyone on the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Many happy returns. Um, look, so let's, I suppose, jump right in. So, Rachel, it'd be great if you kind of, I suppose, set some context for us, really. So we know well-being has obviously been kind of a top item for years now, but are we generally kind of doing enough to support employee well-being at the moment from your perspective? I mean, you've got to start with the easy one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks for the invitation. So I guess if you just take a step back, I would say, didn't the pandemic give us a brilliant excuse to lean into this stuff? And we can see how, even if it was tactical and reactive, it was all done with good intention. And that was fantastic and worthy of applause. What's fascinating now, as we head into an inflationary, recessionary, still highly competitive environment, it almost feels like the burning platform maybe isn't quite shining as brightly. Yet underneath that, the ripple effect of us as humans are standing for something different now. We're making bold choices, even in this environment, to quit to nothing, and that's still happening. So what we're noticing, I have the, the, the huge grift of not only knowing what's going on at Aon internally around well-being, but also with our clients, is there is a real sentiment of now where are we going? Where are we stepping to make this stickier and more strategic? It's no longer just a people initiative or people-driven initiative, and it's no longer just about individuals. And I think this is the, what is exciting me about 2023 is really stepping into that narrative. Brilliant stuff. So a lot of a lot of exciting stuff ahead, and, and it's great to hear your perspective on that, Rachel. So I suppose, Liam, over to yourself. I think, I suppose, for many, Liam, well-being is obviously. I think I think some people think it's almost too big of a term to kind of break down into actions, Liam, isn't it? Sometimes for some for some companies, is that something we see kind of HR teams and organisations struggling with at our end? I suppose with some of our clients, does it seem like a a big demanding topic, or what's the What's the kind of feel out there? Yeah, it is, Owen. And I, I think one of the key things yourself and, and Rachel have touched on is about context. And, you know, the pandemic, you know, one word that Rachel used there was uncertainty. And I think that's it. We're, we're dealing with a hugely anxious 
a nervous workforce in society. Um, you know, there's a lot of nervousness and even with the, with the pending, there was fear about coming to work and, you know, various things, which wouldn't have impacted organizations and, and, and workforces massively in the past. Um, but this is something which we have to, I suppose, think about in the, in the context of things. So I, I think organizations and HR people could be swept away in trying to, to do too many things. I think if we can concentrate probably on a few core things, um, one of the things is the, which probably the pandemic highlighted is the whole area of mental health. And I think that is something that organizations now, I think, are more acutely aware of than they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and the impact that that has on organizations and employees within the organization. And one of the conundrums that they're, that organizations and HR people are trying to deal with is the move to remote or hybrid working and the impact that sort of we need to be careful that we don't end up with an out of sight, out of mind sort of scenario. So the touch points, the water cooler, the photocopier, uh, the chat when someone comes into the factory or the office um, at whatever time it is, some of those touch points have been lost. And I think it's very, very important from an employee wellness point of view that, that we try in as much as possible to re reimagine those points um, because emotionally, you know, if I meet someone face to face over a coffee, I can pick up on things. I can almost sense either tension or anxiety or worry or whatever it may be. But, you know, if I don't see somebody or if I don't make sure to connect with them via Zoom or an MS uh, call, it can be much more difficult. So I think that's one area where, where organizations really around mental health need to be so proactive. And I suppose try and imagine if we are working on a remote environment, if we're working on a hybrid environment, how are we going to reconnect and recalibrate those social relationships and interactions? And I think that's a real challenge. And I think my advice to organizations is to try and concentrate on two or three core areas, not try and do everything at the same time, but try and pick out a couple of points and be really, really good on those points. 100%. And I think a point you kind of touched on earlier is how much it has grown over the past number of years. I think back when I started doing, I suppose, employee engagement a number of years ago, well-being was almost just the kind of day-to-day -day kind of stuff, free fruit, chats, talks, this kind yeah. of stuff. So it's great to see that, I suppose, grow over the, over the past number of years. And I think Rachel, you'll agree on this because I know Aon is quite particularly strong on this. It's the kind of data side of well-being and um, that is, I suppose, data-driven strategies, that kind of stuff. I suppose the topic is what we're trying to focus on today. So I suppose, Rachel, when it comes to data and well-being, I suppose it's not just about listening to to staff, although that's one part of it. So I suppose my question really is, Rachel, what kind of data are we talking about when we talk about data driving well-being? Yeah, and, uh, and I love everything that Liam's just touched on. So if you kind of use mental health by way of example, and I used the phrase before, like good intentions, most of us were good intentions and using data to justify what we'd done afterwards, as opposed to being data-led. And then if I come at it, and it's not meant to be clumsy language, but maybe overly simplistic, so do shoot it down. But most of us are looking at ill-being data of a very small percentage of our population to make strategic decisions off the back of us. So when things go wrong, we have data on how long it takes people to come back from a leave of absence related to mental health, for example. But actually, that maybe only reflects 5% of our population. So if you're sitting in my seat and we have 50,000 colleagues, I don't know a lot about a lot of people in that kind of scenario. So we started to use proactive cultural tools or assessments 
one of which is called the Human Sustainability Index, whereby now, for example, we actually roll out HSI, the index I just mentioned, to everybody who's onboarded globally. Six months in and then 18 months in, we gift them a, a well-being assessment so that they can create a more sustainable life at Aon. That gives them a skill set and it gives me as a chief well-being officer insight into the other 95%. So in my mind, that's the well-being data which connects and complements the well-being data. So I can then understand actually how do I want to encourage, by way of Liam's example, a simple thing that is giving managers a focal point on how to create team mental health. So that's kind of where I'm seeing it as an ill-being and a well-being <laughs> approach. And it's about being more leaning into the reality that people are more comfortable to talk about this and then starting to catch data on that. And then I'm being quite bold and I don't actually know what my year plan is because I'm saying I don't have the data to define that. We now have quarterly cycles and I've designed Q1 based off Q4 data from 22, but I don't know what's coming yet, but we will have the rituals of data to then be able to respond to that. So it becomes very iterative and a continuous cycle of improvement, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, definitely. And I suppose... Just on that, a lot, of, lot to unpick there, Rachel. I think obviously that other 95%, it seems so obvious now, but that's something that we haven't heard much of, to be honest. I know we don't speak to tons and tons of people, but 100 episodes in and we haven't heard of that kind of perspective yet. So that's fantastic. I suppose, has it been quite transformative within Aon taking that approach so far, Rachel? Yeah, and maybe we can come on to it more in the conversations as well. But this is really about trying to get the whole Aon ecosystem being partners of well-being. And, and if you think about Leon's example of Maybe I run our risk function and I can see that we've really gone strong on what we call smart working, so flexible working. But I can also now see from my HSI data that community and maybe mental health are being challenged by that. And so it's actually people coming to me with those sorts of predicaments now. So it's opened up a more mature conversation about how do we proactively create an environment that doesn't mean the 5% becomes 8%. 100%. And I suppose, Liam, I suppose it's one thing we do say in this podcast when we talk about other topics. I suppose the more you know, the more you know, Liam, isn't it? I suppose the, the access to yeah. that and stuff like that is fantastic. So I suppose being in touch with kind of employee sentiment, especially on things like well-being, I suppose, Liam, I know Rachel has said it there, but I know from our perspective and our own knowledge, being in touch with employees on something like well-being is particularly important, Liam, isn't it? Well, it's so important, Owen, and when we did a poll, I think your, your team did a poll on, on LinkedIn, I think recruitment and retention was the number one uh, challenge for HR departments and, and managers in 2023. And I think, you know, being close to employees and understanding their needs and wants. And I, I think sometimes organizations in this area, and it sounds like Rachel is, is getting it right, um, organizations hear from employees, you know, make changes within the workforce but then don't communicate what progress has been made. Um, so I think it's particularly important that they do, you know, communicate the, the changes. And interestingly, about 87% of job seekers own would consider a company's health and well-being strategy for choosing who to work for. So, you know, I think we've moved, look, I'm old enough own to remember, you, you know, the job package, salary benefits, you know, pension, you know, um, bonus, so on and so forth. I think that's now been reimagined. So I think, you know, the job seeker who's out there now is looking at, you know, work-life balance, employee health. You know, it's, it's totally different to five, ten years ago. 
So I think the organizations who will lead that transformation would be better at maintaining their workforce, growing and developing them, but they'll also be more attractive to the new workforce that's coming on stream. So I think it's incredibly important, Owen. 100%. That was a perfect segue on to my, my next question. I suppose get, kind of getting into the, the nitty-gritty a bit, I suppose, Rachel. So I suppose when we talk about data, well-being, that kind of stuff, it's obviously quite powerful. So how powerful is it? I suppose my question, Rachel, is, is this something that can kind of strengthen your efforts across the board, things with helping with retention, like Liam says, productivity, engagement, and so on? I suppose well-being is quite, a, is quite foundational in a sense, Rachel, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a really nice adjective and there's lots of, but it's almost like um, it wiggles into everything, doesn't it? <laughs> and so it's probably a matter of just like capacity. Most of us are in small teams. So where do we choose to worm first or worm second? And I think there's a couple of really interesting places to go with ultimately learning from DNI, the end point being performance. This is a performance, a sustainable performance initiative. But kind of probably the opportunities now are you can... We are very clearly seeing in our data the the opportunity to link diversity, equity, inclusion, and we also sort of say belonging with uh, well-being. If you feel a sense of belonging, your well-being is likely to be high. There's lots of really good sort of um, data-led um, scenarios where that plays out. It's also really interesting how you may have struggled in the past to speak to one of my internal clients about well-being as a priority, yet suddenly they now see the cost, the cost related to attrition, the cost related to succession planning, as Liam has touched on, do I look up the chain and see a lifestyle I want? That's kind of it. And we can see from the silver exodus, oh gosh, we've now got a gap in all of our um, cohorts around the 55 because they're reimagining their pre-retirement um, chapters, but it's also leaving that wisdom gap in organizations. And so there's lots of really interesting sort of recontracting processes going on. The yes, it's about the people. Yes, it's about diversity. Yes, it hopefully will become very much a performance issue. And I think the only thing I'd say is we started to use the language of human sustainability as that proactive side of our data set in our impact report. And what's been really interesting in two of our last year's quarterly earnings recalls, we got asked questions from investors on well-being. So you can suddenly start to see as well how it's integrating into ESG and, and, and a, a broader view of that kind of performance agenda, even if it's not quite got the numbers behind it yet. 100%. And I suppose it is quite refreshing to see it coming from all angles now, from investors, from clients, that kind of thing. I suppose just building on that aside, but Rachel, when clients are coming to you looking for for this kind of, I suppose, advice and this, on this sort of thing, again, is it kind of proactive, reactive? Is it in the sense that a lot of people are coming saying, right, we're really struggling here. What do we do next? Or is it a lot of clients come and saying, right, we have a good baseline, but we want to kick on and really kind of foundationalize this, if that's a word, into our into our company. What's the kind of usual usual feel? Yeah, I love this. And obviously, I'm not speaking to everyone, but I'm speaking to a lot. So it's kind of a gut feel of that of those sort of 100 clients at the moment. I would say that there is a feeling that in the individual bucket, so what we can do for a, for a Liam, by way of example, is um, we can actually offer a lot. And curiously, we've added more into our benefits and more into our product or app ecosystem and the engagement isn't there. Why is that? So there's a predicament there to work through and it might be because of the way that organizations are communicating it. It might also be, and I don't know, Liam, how you feel, but sometimes I still don't know how to manage my own resilience in this crazy world. So I don't know what I need when. So there's a skills gap there. So this is where we've really been asked to maybe use the likes of the Human Sustainability Index to help build the awareness. As my 
actually my community that I need to lean into. It's not about my hours that I work. So it's this post-pandemic awareness isn't, is definitely something to focus on. So that's how do we then simplify our offerings? How do we tidy up the ecosystem to ensure it's spot on for our colleague need now? And then the second bit is very much all the stuff we slightly touched on. It's how do we get it out of the people org to be co-sponsored, co-owned? That requires different data. How do we then start to step up the chain to get management and the executive teams to take responsibilities? And what are they responsible for? Because it's something different than me being responsible for my well-being. It's about the environment. This gets into the litigious space, which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think one, one thing that's really jumping at me as well is how strategic this can be, a strategic priority and that kind of thing. I suppose, Liam, we've been kind of speaking lately a lot about strategy myself, Mary, yourself, um, and how many kind of HR professionals kind of struggle with being a bit strategic. I know we're doing a little bit of work on this in the background, but is this... This does sound, Liam, like something that can absolutely support an organization's kind of wider strategy. I know it's, it's quite clear from what Rachel has been saying, but if a HR person is looking to make a bigger impact this year in their company, big or small, this is not something to be to be ignored by the sounds of it. Yeah, no, I, I think um, what Rachel has said is, is fascinating that, you know, she's getting questions from investors in relation mm-hmm. to, you know, what's your well-being strategy? Um, so I think, Owen, one of the key, the, the, there's a huge body of evidence out there that in general terms, happier workforces are more productive. We know that. And more productive workforces means better company results and better profitability. The, the, there's a huge swathe of, of evidence that, that points that being the case. So I think if we're talking about, you know, being strategic, we need to ensure that we have our employees with us, bought into the strategy. Um, and that we have, I suppose, an engaged organizational workforce that can commit to that strategy and be part of it uh, for the longer term. So it's incredibly important. And I think w- with HR in, in this space, HR is now more visible than it's ever been, would be what I'd say. And, you know, from a finance and resourcing point of view, this area is absolutely critical. And, you know, the results speak for themselves out there in 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 society in terms of organizations and how they've achieved better results through having a bought-in strategy, essentially, you know. 100%. And it goes back to the, what Rachel says there about getting that wider team buy-in, different functions, that kind of stuff, which is to really make it hit home. But so, Rachel, when it comes to our audience, probably in particular, when it comes to HR teams, organizations, SMEs, up to, up to larger companies, what would your advice be to our listeners about kind of unlocking that data within companies? Um, how accessible is it? Does it require a little bit of investment? What's your what's your thoughts in that regard? I kind of frame it in my mind as if like a maturity curve. So actually, you know, do I know where I am on a sensible maturity curve? And is my own judgment fair? So we do look to benchmark wherever possible. We love data. So that's obviously going to be our tendency. But there is a movement now. This is not a completely green sector. So we can look to even outside of our sector, so the tendencies to just look at similar likes can actually be um, quite revealing because actually your sector's a laggard and you never realize that. So we try and look in and outside ourselves and um, we then start to say, you know, we're doing enough. And from there, we make decisions about simple, bold and simple, almost the colleague experience, do less better based on that data. Definitely. And I suppose when it comes then to 
I suppose the priorities looking ahead to, to next year and beyond Liam it's potentially I know look it's quite clear from our, our discussion that well-being should be potentially quite high up on the list of priorities for HR professionals going into this year but Liam I suppose how how high up on that list do you think it should be really I know it's a bit of a, a blue sky question but it has to be something that's really front and centre for, for teams going into this year isn't it? Well I think you've said it yourself it has to be front and centre on, and I think the context in society in our own country we're going to have work-life balance legislation essentially which is going to talk about the whole area of work-life balance working hours how much time people can spend at work what sort of interactions uh, they should have at work the whole I suppose balance between work and life outside of work so I think it has never been more the whole area of employee wellness has never been more prominent. And I think that's a wonderful thing because, I mean, if we go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, it, you know, it was talked about but never really implemented in a, in a true sense. And I think, you know, our new recruits, our new potential candidates for being employees and leaders within our organizations will demand this of our organizations and they will require what, you know, what is your strategy and not just what's your strategy in terms of, well, this is what we'd like to do in an ideal world. In reality, show us your, your key performance indicators or your metrics in terms of your employee engagement surveys and what employees really think, not what the employee is saying on your company's brochure or on the website, but you know, what do they actually think? So I, I think it's a very, very positive time for organizations who are in this space. And I think... Um, people within organizations will demand more and more on, which is why HR departments have to be ahead of the curve in this regard. 100%. And I suppose last word to, your, to yourself, Rachel, I suppose on that, I suppose what would be your kind of general advice for, for teams? I know you've shared some great advice so far, but I suppose in, in, a, in a couple of final, cl- final closing sentences, what would your advice be to HR teams and organizations who do want to really kick on with well-being this year to look where they are and to see what they can do next? Yeah, I mean, I was just... Um, <clears throat> Imagine if anybody Googled a newspaper today. I'm not going to share a brand in case I look <laughs> like I have a preference. But in the UK at the moment, there's strikes. Um, there is uh, rents rising. Definitely reference to the cost of living. It's also Harry Meghan, but maybe that's not, maybe it is a relevant conversation today. <laughs> but all of this is that conundrum of pay versus well-being. How are we evaluating pay versus well-being? And I think we are doing great things globally on the individual layer. For me, the big gap is the manager skill set to try and create environments whereby resilient teams thrive and it's not straightforward and there isn't a kind of best practice out there yet. So for me, Q2, that's absolutely our focus. 100%. I think a lot of what you've been saying, Rachel, as well as keeping close to, to your employees, thinking, I suppose, thinking short term is probably the wrong way to put it, but thinking, I suppose, creatively and and, and changing it over time is another thing that I've, I've picked up from, from you today, Rachel. So that's fantastic to hear those insights. So look, thank you, Liam and Rachel, for a very insightful discussion. Something we could probably talk about for hours on end, but we, we packed a lot in there. So I hope everyone enjoyed. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. 
For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.